Today, we look ahead to one of the most major milestones of our lives when we graduate into retirement. Now, here's our valedictorian and certified financial planner practitioner, Eric Brotman, your host of Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that teaches you how to advance into retirement rather than retreating. Get ready for inspiration and actionable advice to guide you towards a seamless transition into a dignified retirement where you get to make your dreams a reality. Welcome to Don't Retire Graduate. This is Eric Brotman, your host, and this is episode 10 of our first season. It marks the end of our first semester together. Uh, We'll be doing 20 episodes this season, and so we're closing our first semester with a true rock star of a guest. Kate Stalter is joining us, and Kate, welcome to the show. Hey, Eric, thank you so much. I love the rock star intro. Really great to be talking to you today. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I'm so glad to have you. Um, Kate, you, you, you founded Better Money Decisions, which is uh, automatically a wonderful intro. Um, and, uh, and, and you're an MBA and have been doing, um, doing work for specifically on the investment side for a lot of major publications. So this is an opportunity for our audience to hear from, from a true pro. So we're glad to have you. Well, thank you so, so much. Really appreciate this. So, Kate, let's let's talk about uh, how I, I guess begin at the beginning a little bit and how you got into this business and and specifically what you're passionate about in terms of helping folks reach financial independence. Oh, love that question. Yeah, I actually, unlike a lot of people who get into the registered investment advisor business, and a lot of folks kind of come from the commission stockbroker side of that. I actually came into this business as a financial journalist. And I had done that for a lot of years. I had worked at a place that many of your listeners might know about called Investor's Business Daily. And in addition to writing the stock columns over there, I also taught some of their seminars all around the country. So I traveled around teaching stock trading, believe it or not. And that's not something I do today, but it was a great intro. I was going to say, I, I, hope you've, I hope you've recovered from that. That's an addiction. Yeah, and that's part of the origin story, actually, is how I got to where I am. I will say this, though. It was a very good learning experience in a couple of ways of how markets work, because you really dive into what drives the price and volume action in the financial markets, who drives the trading, the institutional investors, and then also to the psychology of what people are really looking for and how people get sold a lot of what I call hopium on on kind of looking for a winning stock, a big trade. And I went through, it wasn't just Investor's Business Daily. I worked for a place for a while called moneyshow.com and they're a big conference around the country. And they feature exhibitions with a lot of trading programs or actually kind of who pays for exhibit space there. And I ended up interviewing a lot of those people. And even though it's so far removed from the approach I take today, it was still a fantastic learning experience. And part of that was, let me tell you a little story, and I've shared this often. I was teaching a seminar for investors business daily and you know eric i did these in a lot of cities and i i think it was in dallas where this happened a gentleman came up to me before the program began and he said i'm a postal worker my daughter is starting college 
this fall. I don't have any money saved for her college. Should I be trading options? Oh, and yeah, I know oh, it's goodness. it's terrible. I felt so bad for this guy at the time. And my answer to him, even at the time, was no, uh, that's just far too risky. But that sort of planted a seed in my mind, which was, wait a minute, I'm not sure I'm really doing anything that's actually helping people with this. And at the time, I didn't know from registered investment advisors, you know, in the trading world, there's a really pejorative statement that people use, they call it buy and hold, which, you know, that doesn't take into account rebalancing, or, or adjusting for risk and return any of the things that registered investment advisor firms do. I didn't know any of that, though. So that idea was in my head, though, I said, wait a second, I'm enabling bad behavior with this. So that's pretty much that that's the origin story there. And I did go on to work for money show. I did have a, uh, a radio show for a time on a thing called Tiger Financial News Network. And Tiger Financial News Network. Yep. And that's a really interesting entrepreneur down in Florida. His name is Tom O'Brien. And Tom is another guy that's very into trading, but, uh, you know, he's been very successful with this radio network. So I did a whole lot of things before I actually went and got licensed with a Series 65 and became an advisor. And I, I didn't start my own firm right away. I did work for another firm for about two years just to kind of get my feet wet and understand the business. But I've seen a whole lot of bad behaviors out there, Eric, and, and seen a whole lot of enabling. And it gives me a really good perspective in terms of, of seeing what people are being exposed to in the media and how it's all very persuasive, really. Actually, Kate, one of the things that, that most appealed to me about uh, having you on our show was that concept of bad behavior. And, and because you started with the financial media, you're, you're uniquely attuned to the bad behavior being arguably taught and taught's the wrong word but espoused is probably mm -hmm. a better word you know i i tell uh, anyone who will listen that that while the the media's job is to give one size fits all advice and the only one size fits all garment that comes to mind is a hospital gown and i'm not sure it's flattering <laughs> on any of us <laughs> that's a good image <laughs> that's very well, funny <laughs> I, ap I apologize for the imagery but the, but the, the reality is this this whole idea that that in a, a 30 second or three minute soundbite uh, you know you're going to provide advice that the masses are going to take um, and so you know I, I tend to be of the mindset that the world deserves better than Susie Orman and Jim Cramer and, uh, and, and so that's where you and I come in, I think, which is, mm -hmm. um, you know, folks who, who not only have uh, the, the professional background and the know-how, but also this idea that so much of this is behavior and psychology. So much is, of success is driven, I believe, or lack of success is driven by emotions and behavior and psychology. And, and, and so doing the planning, and that's, first of all, that's the fun part. Second of all, that's the impactful part, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I just want to say you mentioned Jim Cramer. I worked for thestreet.com as well. That was another place where I wrote for several years. Uh, and it was interesting. I have to say, Jim Cramer was actually personally very supportive. And he, he liked the fact, because by that time, Eric, I was no longer writing about stock trading. I was actually writing about asset allocation and retirement investing. And 
he actually appreciated it. And I think the reason is because it was a different voice on the site. It just kind of diversified what they were doing. But this is to your point about the one-size-fits-all messaging. People need to remember the media, the financial media, any media, it's a product. It's not a public service. It's a product that they're out there selling through advertising, through subscriptions, however they monetize it. And the idea behind it is not to give anybody personalized financial advice, but unfortunately, people take it that way. And, you know, when I worked in the newsroom at Investors Business Daily, and this is true everywhere, I'm not trying to pick on them because this is true everywhere. The people who were writing some of the little blurbs about what was happening in the market that day, they were the youngest person in the newsroom. They were freshly minted college grads, zero experience in finance or financial markets. And these are the people from whom audiences are taking advice. And you need to be very, very careful about that advice. And this is going to sound really cold, but a lot of the people who are very famous financial writers, they're writers. They were maybe English majors or art history majors. And yes, they've perhaps educated themselves over the years. I get that. And they're not dumb people. They're often very, very bright people, but they have no experience working with actual clients. And that makes all the difference. I, I love that, and I love it for a few reasons. First, uh, I was an English major, so so there's that. Um, so was I. Oh, there you go. See, and yep. and and so I love to to write and communicate and so forth. But then, of course, have 25 years in 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 this financial business too. Um, but the thing I like about it, you you mentioned that that media is a product, um, and and I'd like to take that one step further and suggest that it's also a means of entertainment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think Mad Money is, is enjoyable to watch, but I would never take the advice from it, you know, and, right. and I think some of these, I mean, it, it's, it's entertaining, but I think for some people in the same way that gambling can be entertaining. And I, and I you know, I saw that you were talking about the bad behavior of, of trying to predict markets is, is functionally gambling, which, which I believe it is, but gambling's fun if it's entertainment. Right. If it becomes a way of life, it is definitely not fun. And in fact, it's devastating. So I, I think that's a very similar concept, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and let me just tell you, as an advisor, where I stand on this. I've had a lot of clients who have come to me and said that they're interested in something specific they're hearing about in the news. Uh, lately, the big thing, this won't come as a shock to you, lately the big thing is cannabis stocks. Of course, so, that and right. that and Bitcoin, that and Bitcoin. Yes. Everybody wants to talk about it. <laughs> That's right. Well, you do. You, know. you do remember? Ten years ago, they wanted to talk about flipping real estate, and twenty years ago, yeah. they wanted to talk about dot com stocks. So, exactly. You know, there's always something. There's always something out there that's sort of the hot investment of the moment. So here's what we tell our clients, because we know that they're out there seeing this entertainment. And I love that you phrased it that way. And I completely agree. We know they're out there seeing this. We know they're curious about it. And we know they're a lot of people have this instinct. Well, you know, let me go to Vegas and put a little bit of money on the slots or on the blackjack table just for fun. And let me see how it goes. So we, I had a client come to me recently and he and his wife, they're, they're both our clients, but it was the, the husband in, in this who did approach me with this question. They have a, a portfolio that's allocated, broadly diversified 
with with asset classes, small caps, large caps, uh, domestic, international stocks and bonds. So everything that's allocated to match their risk and return profile they need for retirement income. Okay. He comes to me and he says, I'd like to put $2,500 in my account to buy this cannabis ETF. Now, this was outside his allocation. It was $2,500. He wasn't saying to me, I want to cash everything out and put it into cannabis stocks. And in that case, Eric, I was fine with it because it was a teeny, tiny little amount. It was his play money. I made that clear to him. He understood. That's a different equation than people that go in there and say, well, today I want Facebook. Tomorrow I want the MJ ETF. Oh, I think we better cash out today. You know, that's very different. So it really is about this educational process of understanding what people are reading and seeing and how we can guide them to interpret that. I think you're completely you're completely right. I, I agree with you. And And there is definitely a difference between play money and real money. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and having the, the having the real money that that you're on your way to financial independence, if you then want to take a flyer on something, go for it. Um, generally, I think that's fine. But you have to be real careful because I, I think folks get this idea that um, whatever the news story du jour, that it's different this time. Oh, do you yes. re- do you remember? I mean, you, you've been you've been at this long enough to know, and I, I would never date you. I'm, I'm not dating <laughs> you, but 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 you've been at this long enough to remember. I presume um, the dot com slash dot bomb. Yes, if you oh, remember. Well, I do very very oh. much. In fact, I was working in the dot com industry at that time. Oh my gosh! So I do well, remember. That, that, yeah, yeah. That, that had to be um, great for journalists, uh, not so great yeah. for investors necessarily. But um, I, I just remember there were folks who were, you know, in their early twenties who had millions of dollars in stock options yeah. that were months away from vesting, and their lives were uh, essentially set, and then it went to zero overnight. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's not just the dot-coms. It was the, the Enrons of the world had that experience, too. I mean, there have been all kinds of abundant failures out there, um, which certainly speaks to diversification and asset allocation and all the things that um, that don't sell a lot of newspapers or, or TV spots because they're boring, <laughs> right. but frankly, they work, right? Right, um, right. You know, we, we, we talked about one-size-fits-all advice not fitting anyone, um, and we've talked about this idea that so much of this is about behavior. Um how do you just just from a from a standpoint of working with different generations? Because we spend a lot of time talking on this show about not only retirement as being the next stage and the next step, but also that it's a process. That it's something you have to uh, you have to work toward for forty or fifty years. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, which is funny. I joke that my marathon is a five k, uh, and so I, I think you and I are, are running the same races, and I'm certain you're beating me. But but nonetheless. This is a marathon, and if that's true, it seems like good behavior needs to start early. There's no financial literacy education in schools. You know, kids can come out of school and can rattle off the solar system but can't balance a checkbook. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm not sure where we went wrong educationally, where we're not teaching people basic financial skills because finance is complex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More so do than people think. Oh, gosh. Do you do anything with the grown children or even grandchildren of some of the clients you represent to help sort of pass the baton of financial readiness and education? 
Oh, absolutely. Let me tell you about a, uh, a, a, a man we're working with right now, and he's in his mid-30s. He was an Air Force pilot, actually. He is the son of a couple of our existing clients, and he separated from the Air Force back in October, I believe. And he did a pretty good job of saving in his TSP, which is the federal government uh, uh, qualified investment plan. But he really, so he did that. He did that part pretty well, but really didn't have any sense of what his investments were. He had a brokerage account. He didn't realize it was taxable. He, he kind of had the same sort of mess of a situation. And again, I want to say he was well ahead of the curve and that he had some money saved. Uh, but for him, we are working with him a bit now that he has separated from the military. And he's in search of his next career, which is great. But we're kind of helping him on the investment side, just figuring it out. It's a little premature. Now, I'm going to say something that's very controversial here, Eric. I think in our industry, everybody wants to jump into the plan. That's a big thing that's caught on. We are fee only. We don't take commissions. We do planning as part of our uh, part of our fee that we that we take. We no kickbacks mm-hmm. from mutual funds, nothing like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But in a case of this young gentleman. It would not be to his benefit at this point to do comprehensive planning because he doesn't know what he's doing with his career. We can't do an income forecast for him. So sure, could you do some extrapolation of what your investment return might be? Yes, and we've done that. Could you go back and do a little bit of a, of a spending scenario? Well, yes and no, because he doesn't really have a job yet. So that would be kind of a waste. So I challenge the industry a little bit. So to answer your question, yes, we do work with the grown children. He's the best example, actually, because he's kind of the furthest along with the money that he has saved and and maybe looking at these next steps of his life. But I challenge the industry on this. We must jump in and do a plan for a comprehensive plan for everybody. I've seen a plan for a woman who had $10,000. It was wow. ridiculous. Probably cost her 5000 for the plan. That's right. It was ridiculous. So I think the way you work with people is on more of an individual basis. And what do you need to do here? And when this gentleman who recently separated from the Air Force, once he does decide on his next career, he, he's kind of taking a few months off, sort of for lack of a better term, finding himself. And that's awesome. I, I'm cheering him on while he does this. But, Absolutely. you know, once, yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. So once he finds his next career, then we can jump in a little bit more and do some meaningful planning for him. And I'm actually excited about that. I, I, I love your philosophy. I really do. And I agree with you that not everyone should have a comprehensive plan. In fact, um, you know, I, I don't understand why our industry, which is battling the fiduciary uh, standards and state by state and all of this right now, I don't know why we don't have what is functionally the, the financial equivalent of the Hippocratic Oath. Mm. Because I, I tell prospective clients who, who come in our doors a lot of times that, that the most important thing first is that we do no harm. And if there are situations where we could we could engage them in various ways or, in your example, charge somebody to do a financial plan, if we know that they're not going to gain nearly enough value out of that, that it's worthwhile, 
Mm-hmm. It is in their best interest, and it's in our professional integrity interest to walk away or to say, you know what, let's let's do a, a modified approach, or let's take let's take uh, X, Y, and Z under consideration. But don't spend money on a, a comprehensive plan right now. You don't need it. Exactly. Um, I, I, I so I'm I'm in complete agreement with you. There's this idea that if you don't do a plan, somehow you failed people. But you need enough information. You need enough inputs to have valuable outputs in a plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I also I worry yeah. about the planning software. I'm sorry, Kate. I, mean, I I worry about some of the planning software that's being used. Quite frankly, because I think the public, um, we're going to start to see plans that are very much available for the public to create themselves with inexpensive software. That doesn't mean yeah. they'll do it right. It's kind of like TurboTax hasn't replaced the CPA. Right. But I, I think when you spit out a hundred pages of stock language charts and graphs, I think you're doing someone a disservice. Mm-hmm. Because a 100-page report, uh, people aren't going to read it. And if they do read it, in a lot of cases, they won't understand it. And if they do read it and they do understand it, oftentimes they won't implement it, which is really where it becomes valuable anyway, just doing what's in the plan. And if you miss a footnote on page 77 somewhere, you forgot to raise a liability limit on something, you blow up the whole plan. To me, that's, that's a mistake too. Well, that's exactly right. And I meet a lot of people who they got a plan done years ago, and then the onus was on them to go and implement all the strategies in there, the tax strategies, the investment strategies, the the insurance, I mean, all, everything that, that comes with a comprehensive plan. And you know what happened, Eric? I bet you've seen this too. It got thrown in a drawer and never looked at again. Right. It's a it's a dust bunny now. Yeah. Um, those plans, they sit in, you know, they, they look all pretty and they're in leather binders and you spend a bunch of money on them and they sit on a shelf. And I would argue they're obsolete in somewhere around 36 hours because <laughs> yeah, invariably so. part of the plan was to have an emergency fund and the next day you need four tires. I mean, it, it just it, it's so ridiculous to think that those are uh, that they're that they're not um, easy to update. And they're not, they're not malleable. I mean, the, these, no. are, these plans are very rigid. They're a snapshot in time. And just like video tells a better story than a, than a photograph in a lot of cases, if a plan is a still shot, it's, it's obsolete instantly. Well, you know the phrase about, uh, I, think, I think this originated with the Constitution, I believe, a living, breathing document. Yes. We, we, yeah, we use that about planning. And we have a program called Financial Wellness for Life that encompasses all of this. And that's what we say to people. We're like, this is not a one and done. So you and I have the same philosophy about this. Exactly. Well, but I'm afraid well, too many in the industry don't. Oh, well, I, I couldn't be in more agreement. And I think, quite frankly, we're going to be the East Coast presence for your firm or you'll be the West Coast presence for our firm in no time because <laughs> we, we're harmonizing in ways I'm not even sure we realize. So I'm glad you said some things that were, that were controversial. I'm sorry that I agreed with them all because it'd be much more fun <laughs> to banter. Um, but uh, I, I do like your philosophy on that. So let's, let's go back a, a little bit to some of the investment conversation because one thing we haven't done on this show is go deep with someone with, um, with real institutional investment knowledge. And, and while I don't want you to get into the weeds or, or into specifics, for folks who are do-it-yourselfers, mm-hmm. there are an enormous number of tools out there now. And, and I'd argue that uh, investment management, particularly asset allocations, becoming commoditized. And it's no longer a value add in the same way that it was at one time. So how do you differentiate yourself in a very crowded space um, in in an area where 
um, philosophy and behavior tend to be more important than uh, than some of the nuts and bolts. Yeah, I think there's this myth out there, and again, this comes back to the media and and where where the media uh, teaches, for lack of a better term. I think there's this idea that you can do this yourself. Investing is so easy. You can do it yourself. And this is where it comes back to this question of, okay, well, how do you know that your portfolio is allocated the right way for your risk tolerance, your time horizon, for the income you need in retirement? How do you know that you are making withdrawals from the right accounts? In what order do you withdraw from your traditional IRA, your Roth IRA, your taxable account? How do you figure that out? How do you know when you rebalance? Do you just invest in some Facebook stock and maybe uh, a bond ETF and call it a day? Is that proper allocation? Sure, you've got stock and bond there. You might have a a, a pie chart that shows you, oh, I've got 60% equity and 40% fixed income. But you know, not every 60-40 portfolio is the same. So I think we're in a very dangerous time with all this do-it-yourselfism. And again, Eric, I believe this comes back to journalists who, frankly, is going to sound cold again, journalists who don't know better. They've never allocated a client portfolio. So they can get out there and write a, an article that gets a lot of clicks about, here are the stocks you need to buy to make money in 2019. And that's, like you said earlier, that's going to be very attractive, much more than something like, okay, here are these six low-cost mutual funds you need to own. And by the way, I can't tell you when to rebalance these right now because I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> in the market in six months. So, you know, I, I, it's not that interesting. Well, I, you know, it's, it's funny that, that you, you I, I couldn't help but get this idea in my head that just because you can brush your teeth, you shouldn't do your own root canal. And, right, <laughs> uh, and so so that's what I'm picturing. I mean, yes, allocating your 401k within some of the choices in the plan, um, and, and using some of the tools that your plan sponsor might have, that's not necessarily a root canal. That's brushing your teeth. But determining where the income's going to come from, how it's taxed, and all the various steps you're going to take that that is the more sophisticated piece. And I, I really agree with you that doing it yourself in most cases is not a good idea, particularly as you get to that five to 10 years from your uh, retirement. And I, I would never call it a, a finish line. I, I like to call it a graduation date, but yep. you know, you're, you're getting ready to walk across the stage at commencement and Kate Stalter 2.0 or 3.0 is coming out, right? Yeah. Um, at that moment, you need to be ready for almost anything because you don't want to be thrust back into to, to the nine to five. Oh, that's exactly right. And, and I'm sure you've seen this too with your clients. Once people reach that moment of retirement, things change. Their mentality changes. All of a sudden, you're not going to work and getting a paycheck and paying you know, your mortgage, your groceries, those new tires for the car. You're not paying that with what you get from work. Now you've got to dip into what you've saved. And that makes people nervous. It really it does. does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. You've and, got to consider and, that. 
It's it's been said that to be uh, young and broke is an inconvenience, but to be old and broke is a tragedy. Um, yeah. When when you can't when you don't have the same wherewithal to go make more money, it's much much harder if you if you lose it or, or even just to wrap your head around spending it. So, uh, Kate, I cannot believe we're getting toward the close of our show. I could talk to you for six hours, and I think people would listen because you've been an amazing guest. Um, one of the things we do on our show uh, every every two weeks is we ask every guest to come up with that one extra credit assignment, that one thing that, that folks can take away from this call so that if they remember um, one Kate-ism or whatever it's going to be today, <laughs> that they can take it with them and it, it's going to help them get an A in this course, which is graduating into retirement. So if you could come up with one extra credit assignment for folks, what would that be? Start today. Saving investing. I don't care if you're 30, if you're 50, 60. I don't care. Starting today is better than starting tomorrow and having something is better than nothing. I think that's very, very sound advice. How can folks get in touch with you? Um, We're going to put your information in our show notes, of course, but how can folks get in touch with you if they'd like to get to know you better? Yeah, we have a website. Well, there's two websites. I'll give you both of them. The first is the registered investment advisor firm. That is bettermoneydecisions.com. But we also have a really cool content site. And I'll post this interview up there when it's available. It's called betterfinancialdecisions.com. And there's a lot of articles, resources, blog posts, uh, articles that myself and my business partners have written for sites like Forbes, US News, Kiplinger, and just all kinds of information for people who are planning for retirement. So would love to have the listeners visit that site. Well, that's great. And I thank you for being truly an incredible guest. And, um, uh, and until next time, don't retire, graduate, and we'll talk to all of you soon. From this day forward, let us make each decision with our best interests in mind. Let us begin visualizing our dreams and reaching our goals. It's time to take the next steps in our life journey and build our futures. Today, I implore you, don't retire, graduate. Visit our website, don'tretiregraduate.com to download episodes and connect with us on social media. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transformed where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.